Good evening and welcome to Matters of Life. You know, in spite of everything that is going on in the world, I am even more convinced now of how much it is incumbent upon us that we walk in love and how much, I'll say how tightly, we need to hold fast to Christ, to be led by him, to be guided by Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, I was uh, I came across a video this week that was clearly taken from a, a parent-teacher conference, or not parent-teacher, excuse me, uh, from a school board meeting. And in there, I was blessed by this individual who said, no, hey, you guys stood up and said, we'll teach your children. We'll take it from here. We got it, and we'll help build them up. But this parent said, no, you haven't done that. And we'll take the wheel from here. We'll take control back and we'll teach our children. And, and I'll tell you, I was, I was blessed because that's exactly what the Lord told us to do. And what he required of us was to teach our children. But we must be careful of how we teach our children and what are we teaching them. You know, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, there's a, a key part there where Jesus restores Peter. Right? Peter had denied Christ three times. He had, he had left. He had gone away, gone back to what he was doing previously, before he met Jesus. But it begins in, in John 21, chapter 15. It says this, So when they had finished speaking, or finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he, that is Peter, said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, that is Peter said to Jesus, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. And as I looked at that, I was like, wow, well, okay, three times, yes. One for each of the times that you could say that Peter denied Jesus. But there's so much more contained within that than I think we fully realize or understand, just taking a surface glance. There are different levels that he asked of the task he asked Peter to do. The first thing he said, he told Peter was because he loved him to tend or depending on your translation, feed his, that is the Lord's lambs, the newborn baby infant sheep to tend them and raise them. And then he said, to shepherd his sheep. And then lastly, he said, 
to tend or feed my sheep. Those are three different tasks. Tend or feed my lambs. That starts off with, again, as I said, infants or newborns, toddlers, up to, you know, even to toddlers, where they must be taught, blessed, cared for, fed, protected. And then there's the broader, if you will, um, task, which is number two, which is to shepherd, to lead, to guide, to bless, to protect the entirety of the flock. Not just the the ones that are new. And by new, yes, we all, and it is also evident the Lord is talking about his flock believers, those that will believe in Christ. And then lastly, he says, tend my sheep, which goes to the grown, not just adolescent, but the full-grown parent, parental figures, fathers and mothers of the sheep. And in there, I was surrounded with so many things, uh, partially about Elijah, but we'll get to that here in a second, only on account of there was another place in the scriptures the Lord led me to. And that was in First Chronicles chapter 2. These, these stages of maturity matter a lot to the Lord. You see that especially in First John. It gives the, the four different stages of maturity. Infants, and then as toddlers, then as adolescents, and then ultimately as fathers. And we are all required to grow. So the expectation, excuse me, that Jesus had of his disciples, that they would grow spiritually mature and develop, as well as naturally, into being fathers that are not swayed by what's happening, but they know what is right, and by right I mean righteous, to do for their children and for the well-being of, whether that's natural children or spiritual children, that they are blessing them, feeding them, caring for them, tending to them, making sure that they have what they need so they can grow and ultimately reach that level of maturity. But as I mentioned I was brought to 1 Chronicles chapter 2, and <laughs> yes, first glance at this, when you get there, you're going to go, wow, this is a genealogy, man, boring, and uh, I understand. I had the same mindset for uh, much of my life, but there is so much contained within here, and I'll give you this example, right? It says that it's in chapter, uh, so 1 Chronicles chapter 2. And verse 7, and it says, The son of Carmi was Echar, the troubler of Israel who violated the ban. And then the son of Ethan was Azariah. But Carmi, the son of Carmi was Echar. And if you study this out, you will find it in Joshua chapter 7. And to, to give you a little bit of context here, Israel suffered a defeat. Well, there, first there was the conquest of Jericho. And Jericho was defeated. And then, even after that great victory, 
The Lord had promised to bring them them in and to give them that land. The Lord had put these guidelines and said, hey, there is a ban. But it says how the sons of Israel, even after experiencing this great victory by the Lord, that they acted unfaithfully. And it said how this individual, and this is in, again, Joshua chapter 7, it's the first verse. It says how the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. And and like I said, there's a lot of interesting things in genealogy. This individual is part of, of Judah, who the Lord had chosen to rule Israel and to come through. And so there was royal lineage in and through this tribe, ultimately through David and through Christ for eternity. But it says how, as a result, when they went to the next battle and they fought at I or AI, that they lost. And Of course, Joshua, who is now leading the people, is upset, and he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord says, hey, this is in verse 10, why is it that you've fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, and they have even taken some of the things under the ban, and and have stolen and deceived. Moreover, they've even put them amongst their own things. So that's the result, and he says in verse 12, Therefore, or that's why, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. So he then, the Lord then instructs Joshua, Hey, remove these things. Remove the things from the ban that are in your midst. Because you can't stand before your enemies until you've removed those things from under the ban. That's in verse 13. But he says, rise up, consecrate the people, right? So, and by consecrate, he means separate them. Not just the people, but separate them as unto the Lord. But then it says how finally they, they get there. They, they are dealing with the situation. And it says how after they go through their, their process of determining who has held some of the things from the ban. And verse 20 says that Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw amongst the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, that I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. Now, there's a lot of things just contained within that. These were a people that the Lord was saying, I'm bringing you into the promised land. I have all these great plans and hopes for you. That things that I have desired to lead you in, to give you, which is a future and a hope that comes from the Lord. 
but we are to be clothed in righteousness, which is the Lord, which is to put on his righteousness, right? We are the righteousness in Christ Jesus. He says, we're told in scripture to put on Christ and God is love. But then there's another aspect of all these things that were here. There were things that he desired to the eye. Now, Shinar was a region for this garment of Shinar, which was the first item that he mentioned. And that first item is a garment that, that came from uh, essentially southern Mesopotamia. So in between modern day Iraq and Iran, which is also where Babylon was located. So essentially, this is a, a garment from there. And in, well, I'll say Hebrew, the biblical name of for Shinar is watch of him that sleeps. But also, if you get to the root of that word, there is an intense negative emotion and experience of violence. So as I was, as I was, studying this out and the Lord's revealing these things, I was reminded of, man, what is happening even today, whether it's in the United States or, or abroad, any of the nations. There are people that have risen up, and through violence, they have taken treasures. They have clothed themselves in things that are in opposition to the Lord, that are, I'll say, giving the enemy a foothold in a place that makes a nation unable to stand. So, now the Lord sorted that out. But I was, again, we talk about teaching. And this is where it comes into play, right? We read this in First Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7. This individual, um, which was... Akar, the son of Carmi, he was known as the troubler of all Israel. But it's interesting because there's, in the, in the story of Elijah, or the life of Elijah, it says very plainly that the king there, and this is, the story of Elijah begins in 1 Kings chapter 17, but it says how he had sought the Lord, and the Lord had ceased or caused there to be no rain. He answered the prayer of Elijah. So there was no rain until Elijah prayed, which was only going to happen through the timing and the will of the Lord, when the people had been restored back to the Lord. And all of a sudden, it says very plainly about Elijah that when he sees him again, after Elijah had been hidden by the Lord for quite some time, he says, Elijah is greeted with, is that you, O troubler of Israel? But Elijah, interestingly enough, it says it very plainly, and this, this was his role, and that you can find it in, in two places. Um, Malachi chapter 4, it says this about Elijah. And he says, well, I'll start in Malachi chapter 4, verse 4, 
through 6. It says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statues and ordinances which I commanded him in horror for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So many times when we consider the story and and the life of Elijah, all the amazing, miraculous things that the Lord did in and through him, the power of the Lord that was demonstrated through Elijah, tends to overshadow his true purpose and calling, which was, again, as we just read in verse 6, to restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Yes, and of course, it's to to not experience the curse that comes as a result of that not being the case. So it's important that we understand that. That it's not just the one person, Elijah, but we, as as fathers and our, and as children, have a role and a responsibility in that plan. How can a child, as we were talking with, uh, going back to the John twenty one with Jesus and Peter when he was restoring him, he first says, "Tend my lambs." Then he says, shepherd my flock, lead them, guide them. And then he says to to tend his sheep, the adults. So you see that, that maturity process, the growth, the development process. Now again, coming back to Elijah, is done through teaching, through teaching the people. And you'll find that Elijah is restoring the people. He has to address a couple things. And when that that line is said to him that he was a troubler of of Israel, he says, no, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father have. You've troubled Israel. And how did they trouble Israel? By teaching them how to sin. By setting up laws and legislation and all these other things that promoted Israel things that were abominations to the Lord, that were against what he had determined for the people and how they should live and be consecrated to him. But also, as we said, it was not Elijah acting in his own strength and power to restore the people. If we jump to, uh, again, the Gospel of John, chapter 7, it says this in verse... 38. Jesus is speaking. He says, He who believes in me, excuse me, actually, I'll begin in verse 37 through 39. It says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being, other versions will say belly, and other versions will yet say heart. From his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39 is key. It says, But but this he spoke of the Spirit, that is Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. 
For the Spirit, again, Holy Spirit, was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, this is important because Jesus says very plainly in Scripture, out of your innermost being, we just read that, right? And again, that if we study that out, depending on the translation, it says innermost being. Some versions say out of your belly and other versions say out of your heart. But let's also understand this, which Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he keeps talking in this about the Spirit, right? It's that in this case, he was speaking of John the Baptist, saying that he was going to be like Elijah and do this. That was the calling of John the Baptist's life. It's come like in the same manner of spirit as Elijah to restore these things. But what, what did Elijah and John the Baptist do? They pointed everyone to the Lord. That's what they were teaching. And in restoration, there was a tearing down of those things that had been built up that did not reflect the nature, character, and attributes of our Lord and Savior embodied within Jesus, the Christ. And how did Jesus live and operate in his life? We'd have to go to Isaiah chapter 11. So if you give me a second, let me turn there real quick. Isaiah chapter 11 says, we'll just do the first five verses. Then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And if you, you continue down and read, it says that in that day, as verse 10, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal or a sign, standard, depending on your translation, for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. This is literally how, in, in Isaiah 11, it gives a, an instruction for us, for those that choose to live righteously or stand for righteousness and do justice how we bring about heaven on earth how the hearts of the fathers are restored to the children and how the children the hearts of the children are restored to the fathers we first must teach them as well what do we teach them i know it's a question i'm hearing it as as i'm speaking well, what do we teach them? And yes, they have to understand, 
math and science and English and right all these these things. But what did the Lord say about Abraham? The Lord said about Abraham, should I not tell him what I am about to do? But he will teach his children about me. And in the teaching, it's not just about the words that we as parents or those in authority who have been given or had sheep, or in this case, children, assigned to our care. And whether, and by children, I'm not just counting the biological ones. I am counting the spiritual ones, the ones the Lord has assigned to our care and given us a responsibility to pour into their lives, to teach them, to train them up in the way that they should go. What did Abraham teach them about the Lord? Not just by what he said, but by how he lived out his life. What, is, what was the instruction given to Moses? In Deuteronomy, he says very plainly, and you shall teach them as you lay down and as you get up and as you go about your day. Every moment there is an opportunity is what's being said there to discuss the Lord, to teach them about the Lord his ways and his thoughts, not our own, and what we think they need for their life, but to receive the answer from the Lord and his Holy Spirit. It's the only way we can accomplish any of this. And the Lord made that very plain. He says, without me, you can do nothing. But remember, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We just read here in Isaiah 11, all the different aspects of Holy Spirit. And even in Zechariah, when it was when they were building the temple and laying down the chief cornerstone and all these things in Zechariah chapter 4, he says very plainly, it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So I just want to encourage each of us with that. Yes, there's a, an element, an aspect of a warning of be careful what we teach our children. And what we teach them should be about the Lord and how to training them up so that when they grow old, they don't depart from it. But now that they've they reached that level of spiritual maturity as a father, they can now teach and train and guide their children, their infants, their toddlers, and their adolescents up in the way that they should go getting to even higher levels in the faith and in their faith than maybe we even got to. While I appreciate Moses and Elijah and, and all these great heroes in the faith that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, they should not be the pinnacle for today, that that was a pastime and and we can never reach that level of faith or, I'll say, a level of desire for the Lord in our walk with him. That level of righteousness, that standard for the peoples. He's raised up a standard. That standard was set in Christ as our pattern and example. That we all should walk and be like him. Be conformed to the image set forth in Jesus the Christ the Apostle Paul writes about and phrases it in Romans. But teaching our children how to have that 
deep, personal, intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior, how to hear his voice. And then because they love the Lord, how to be obedient to what he's leading and instructing them to do for their lives, how to fulfill, to accomplish the destiny track that the Lord set out for them. Not what we think their destiny track should be, but to fulfill everything required to accomplish the destiny track that the Lord has for them and their lives and for their families and their homes and their communities and their nations, nation, and ultimately the nations. It can only be done by remaining so close to the Lord, just like Jesus. So close that he didn't say anything of his own initiative. He said only what the Father said. He did only what he saw his Father do because he received it from Holy Spirit. That is what we should be teaching our children, but not just by our words, but by our actions. And that can only happen if our true desire is the Lord. Unlike Echan, who saw with his own eyes this garment or mantle from a far off place and the gold and the silver and then tried to hide it. He took it. He coveted it. He desired it. That became his treasure. Our treasure must be the Lord. Our desire must be for the Lord. Our delight, our driving force must be for the Lord. And that is what we must teach our children. And then because we love the Lord, we now walk in love with each other. We give grace and we give mercy to those that have wronged us. We bless those that have cursed us. Pray for those that have used us or spoken against us. We show them all the love of God as he loved us. That is what we must teach our children how to have that relationship with the Lord in our lives. And they, as we teach them, will begin, you, you will see this in their lives, that they begin to do the same things that you do. So then how are we living? And what are we teaching our children? And yes, while there are many things that are required to teach a child so they can function in life, nothing, none of it can be accomplished or fulfilled without Jesus, without teaching them about our Lord and actually entering into a relationship, consecrating ourselves or separating ourselves from the things of the world in the sense of that we are not stained by it but we are a people set apart for the Lord that are ready and prepared to serve him because he's our God and we're his people. Amen. So I just want to encourage you all with that. And I want to thank those that have tuned in and listened 
and to continue to stand for righteousness and to do justice. Thank you. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.